0: Iranians made their choice. Hey USA, be their voice. Iranians made their choice. Hey USA, be their voice.
1: Since Masa Amini's death in September, protesters in Iran have risked their lives daily by taking to the streets in defiance of the Islamic regime.
0: Say her name!
1: But what's being called a revolution has reached far beyond the borders of Iran. On October 1st, Salt Lake City was one of over 150 cities across the globe to join Iranians in their fight for freedom. This is Iranian Voices. I'm your host, Crystal Fratten. In our first episode... Every action counts. We listen to Iranians who have left their home country with a focus on organizing desired actionables from authority figures and media coverage in the United States. Are you, are you able to translate what they're chanting? Of course, I'll
2: translate
1: it. I met Rana, who asked to only be identified by her first name for safety reasons. At the local chapter of the global rally back in October. So, um, This one is
0: our 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 existence is being questioned. um, But the main ones that she's been chanting is the is the woman life freedom in Farsi. Women life
1: freedom in Farsi. In Farsi. Farsi. um, Women life freedom has been one of the main rallying cries of this movement. Masa Amini was detained by the morality police for not wearing her hijab correctly, and she died in their custody on September 16th. In the weeks following Amini's death, Iranian women removed their head coverings and burned them, risking detainment and violence by the regime's authorities. Thousands of women around the world posted videos on social media cutting off their hair to show solidarity. But the rallies and protests have not only turned out women, men and children have equally contributed to the crowds.
0: We do not want Islamic Republic. We do not want Islamic Republic.
1: Want Islamic Republic. Bye, bye, Death on
2: dictator. Death on dictator. Death on dictator. Bye, bye,
1: dictator. Um,
2: I've been living in Utah for the last 20 years, but um, a corner raised in Iran. So okay. I understand the pain. Did you come to Utah straight from Iran? Yes. Wow. um, Escaped based on religious persecution that was happening in Iran at that time. And many, many of their stories are the same. They're all
0: here.
1: Rana told me that she is worried for the safety of her loved ones that are still in Iran. Staying in contact has been difficult due to the internet shutdowns. The regime has used the tactic of restricting internet access during protests numerous times over the past two decades. Do you would you estimate that a lot of people here still have family there? Do. I would say it's not. I, I think if not all. Many of them. I do. Um, Iftar starting my family, second family, 2nd second family, second cousins—they um, still do. I know. Also, my side still. Uh, so. I spoke with another protester who will only identify by his first name, Benjamin. He left Tehran six years ago, where all of his family remains. He told me he thinks this movement is different. This
0: movement or the revolution, uh, in our mind and others, um, I think, is different than the previous ones we had in 2009 or two years ago because this movement started uh, with the attempt of trying to gain women's rights back. And it's a women revolution that started in Iran and hopefully would continue in different countries in the Middle East or across the world. And I think this is the reason why there is a lot more sympathy uh, by celebrities or other foreign um countries and diplomats about this revolution uh, because this unites everyone just to support women, not any significant opposition leader in Iran that is running. Everyone here with their different ideas or thoughts about how the future of Iran should be has gathered together to support the women.
1: In the weeks following Masa Amini's death, the hashtag bearing her name was tweeted over 80 million times. As of December 11th, there were 1.9 billion views on TikTok of videos with hashtags of her name. In the beginning of the episode, you heard Iranian singer-songwriter Shirveen Hajipur's song, Bah which has been described as the anthem for the current protests. At the onset of this movement, Iranians took to Twitter to voice all of the reasons they are in the streets, after living under the Islamic regime for 43 years. The tweets all started with "ba Raya, which translates to for. Hajipur created the song, pulling directly from those tweets and posted it online. The first lines translate to for dancing in the streets, for the fear of kissing your lover in public, for your sister, my sister, our sisters. The video he posted performing the song amassed 40 million views within two days before he was arrested on September 29th. He was later released on bail and has had little presence online since. The global social media response has quieted in the months since the beginning of the protests, as has U.S. news coverage, but the people of Iran have not stopped fighting. Masa Amini's death started this revolution, but many more Iranians have paid the ultimate price for standing up for human rights. Since September 17th, over 18,000 protesters have been arrested, and 488 have been killed, according to the Human Rights Activist News Agency. I sat down with two members of the board of directors for Free Iran SLC to talk about their organizing strategies and what reactions to the movement they've encountered.
0: My name is Mehdi. Um, I'm from the, I was born and raised in in Tehran's capital, uh, in Iran's capital Tehran, but, um, but we have a lot of relatives in the northern part of Iran. So like culturally, I'm, um, I feel um, a mixture of the northern part of Iran and the capital. I came here, um, for people for my grad school in 2016 August 2016 um, we um, I grew up mostly in Iran but because of my dad's um, kind of work we've kind of we've lived in other places around the world Um, and I lived partly in the US when I was a when I was a kid
2: Um, my name is Ava Uh, I I'm a student at the University of Utah um, I'm a graduate student and studying counseling psychology. Um, I was born and raised in Tehran which is the capital of Iran um, I my family is kind of a mixture of different uh, backgrounds uh, but that's the city that I associate myself with the most. Um, I spend my entire childhood in a in the same home, um, and I moved here to the U.S. at the age of 15 uh, with my parents. Uh, My one brother lived here in the U.S. previously, but we had to uh, leave one of my brothers behind and he's living in Europe right now. Um, Yeah, that's my background. Ava, what caused you to leave Iran? Um, yeah, this is this is a really good question. I, I guess um, I didn't have much of a choice. Um, my parents decided for us as a family. Um, I think, and the decision came from the fact that they saw no future uh, for me and my two brothers in Iran. Um, I think my mom, when I was younger, she kept saying, uh, oh, by the time you go to school, it's going to be free. You, you won't have to wear hijab, and of course that didn't happen. And they were very uh, conscientious of not, not only the, um, the prospect of having a future in terms of career and everything, but also just having freedom to be um, myself and for, my, for the rest of my family as well. We didn't have that in Iran. Uh, I come from a very non-religious family, uh, but we were, the women in the family were forced to wear a hijab um, and so many other limitations that we had that was just, you know, it got to the point that they were like, "We this is not the future we want for the kids. So it was a very long application process um, moving to the U.S. and um, ultimately in 2012, I we, we finally got our green card, um, but my Um, one of my brothers was left out of the whole situation because he was barely over 21 uh, which meant that he's no longer included um, in the visa process Um, so he had to move to Europe and I I really want to emphasize that the reason that we moved wasn't because of our own aspirations there was nothing um, like adventurous about it it was more so out of we we were forced to move because we couldn't be ourselves. We couldn't practice our beliefs uh, in that system. So we were pretty much forced out of the country. And it was one of the most heartbreaking, one of the hardest things that I've experienced in my life. And none of us would have moved if it wasn't for this uh, regime. Both of you are on the board of directors for Free
1: Iran SLC, and you're responsible for coordinating events. Can you both talk about your organizing strategies, especially being so far removed, at least geographically, from Iran?
0: We're, we're kind of learning as we go forward. Um, I don't have any prior experience in um, you know uh, organizing this kind of events and movements, but um, we've been doing events, marches, gatherings, um, things like that, outreach to uh, local, city, state authorities. We've been working on that, especially um, having a um, community uh, student community base in the in the university uh, we've also kind of focused on on to ask like two, um two different contexts in the university context and in the city context um, and yeah the coverage hasn't been the news coverage hasn't been um, too bad on these events lately um, but what I've personally noticed is that coverage uh, is not everything traction uh, is also like maybe partly separate than coverage um and what i've been thinking about is like traction is basically um the the awareness that's raised in the community um about the situation and and that's why it's important for everyone um to you know take a loud and clear position on the issue and once that happens is when we have traction and you know when there's a um, back and forth between news coverage and people's activities. We're also reaching out to unofficial like n- outlets such as the campus um, Instagram page that posts like stories uh, about ongoing events and things in the in the academic world and so yeah we've reached out to those but we've also been in touch as you know with uh, local news like Fox 13 and KSL um, other local news like that. I don't think we've reached out yet to like, um, nationwide news. There are a lot of activist groups, um a, a lot of Iranian di- diaspora activist groups in the US uh which which started their activities way earlier than we did and you know have have um strong social and political um support. They have more bandwidth. More bandwidth, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and I guess those are the ones that are um, closer to like the nationwide news outlets
2: yeah I think uh, to add to that um, part of part of this movement uh, the reason that we see ourselves responsible to um, continue on as long as the people in Iran are wanting change is because we have the privilege of having freedom of speech here Um, there are of course limitations to that even here as well but as, as long as people are willing to hear us, uh, we're, we're going to show up. And um, our goals change and adapt as we go. Um, I think one of the main goals has been destigmatizing this movement to some extent because there's been a lot of uh, concern around, oh, this movement might be Islamophobic or uh, this movement... Uh, in th- that that this whole thing that's happening in Iran is part of the culture and we should just let it be, which is really frustrating. It's like
1: where liberals go wrong. Yes,
2: exactly. Like, democracy only belongs to the West mm-hmm. um, and not to the rest of the world, which is re- very unfortunate, and it's inaccurate, too, um, because, you know, historically, democracy started in that part of the world. um. So yeah, it's it's our goals have been just to really elevate the voices of people in Iran and uh, really show what what they're wanting. I, I think there's been a lot of miscommunication on on the media's end uh, that they've kind of reduced this move movement to a request for reform, which is not true, um, and also uh, yeah, just not accurately. Representing what the people are asking for and what they're wanting, um, so yeah, I think part of it is just to open people's minds and be like, hey, this is happening in, in in Iran, and this movement is not just exclusive to the people in Iran; it also joins the claims for freedom across the globe, um, and that it's a very inclusive movement. Movement it has nothing to do with Islam. People can practice whatever they want. Um, but theocratic regimes um, are very oppressive. So yeah, I think those are some of the goals that we've been trying to hone in on uh, in terms of the movements that we've had. And we're doing a couple of different things. Um, on Saturdays, typically we have protests happening um, across Salt Lake City. And sometimes we do. We, we try to communicate with uh, people with power. Um, on campus level and also on the state level, reaching out to senators and government officials and trying to get the word out that this is happening and asking for, for support in any way that we can. So when you
1: reach out to these officials, you're asking for um, help to draw attention to the movement?
2: Yes, asking for a, a more visibility. And um, also, part of it, especially at the beginning, was to prevent any appeasement with uh, the Iran government because there was a conversation with the nuclear deal happening and that would have just given the government of Iran more power Not, it wouldn't have helped uh, the people and that's not what the people want uh, so that was part of it too when we were reaching out to government officials asking to make sure that they're reflecting the voices of Iranians when they're making these type of decisions not just the government because the government is clearly not representing the people of Iran
1: So, these authority figures that you reach out to, and also media coverage, can you elaborate on how it's helped or hindered the movement, or what you wish you saw more from those organizations?
0: Yeah, yeah, when it comes to media, I have a long list of um, things to talk about, but, um, so what's, 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 um, what's typical in media is that they publish selectively. Which is, I guess, this. I don't know. It's understandable or whatnot, but um, um, and, and that when it comes to our activities, um, they have been very selective about um, about what what they mention about Iran and how they quote us. Um, usually, they're either inaccurate or uh, it requires a lot of energy from our side to you know um, pressure them to publish um, act accurate versions of events, and. I understand that this is also a part of the whole process of this movement. You know, we are trying actively, uh, we are being active, and um, the general public knows very little about the severity of the situation and the intensity of the efforts that are being made, um, both inside and outside of Iran. Mostly inside, people are risking their lives, but you know the intensity of what's going on is something that the general public, I feel, is not very aware of. And our goal, one of our main goals, is to raise this awareness um, you know with like things like this interview this is a this is a woman led freedom revolution against theocratic totalitarianism so this current uh, dictatorship in Iran um, they've killed more than sixty four kids so far just over the past uh, seventy days they've arrested eighteen thousand people in one hundred and fifty nine cities and one hundred and forty three universities as of today that's my most up to date uh, statistics and <coughs> so the complicity that's out there um i guess there's as ava mentioned there's a fear of you know um being islamophobic but that's not logical this the ir regime um they've cracked down on muslim congregations inside the mosque with military artillery so basically they've shot at them with helicopters and with artillery weapons inside the mosque that's that those are muslims that they're killing um so the opposition of Islamic governments uh around the world especially like right now when this world cup uh for example what Qatar is doing with people who are trying to go to s- the stadiums and you know chant women life freedom or even have a flag that says women life freedom and they stop them that's in my belief that's not for Islam their opposition is that they're not supporting Islam they're not even supporting the freedom to be a muslim what they are uh why they are opposing this movement is because of islamic t- totalitarianism
1: In the World Cup, Qatar beefed up security during Iran matches to minimize protest against the regime. They banned so-called inflammatory items, including the Iran flag pre-1979, when the Islamic regime took power. During the match between Iran and the U.S., security took away fan signs that spelled out Masa Amini's name. An eyewitness told Reuters journalists that security guards pinned a man to the ground outside of the stadium and tried to remove his shirt that read women life freedom, while he also chanted the slogan. Five members of the Russian activist and punk rock group Pussy Riot were seen in the stands, sporting green balaclavas and shirts carrying the names of people killed in Iran and their ages. Security removed the balaclavas and escorted the women out of the stadium after the match.
0: And um, this movement, I, I can't emphasize more. It's against totalitarianism. It's not against uh, any personal choice of religion. It's a women-led freedom revolution against theocratic totalitarianism. And, you know, when I think about it, and I've, I've, I've heard other people talk about this, and it makes sense to me that, you know, from my point of view, um, for, from, like, if I put myself in the shoes of uh, people who are supporting the IR regime, or uh, governments that are supporting them, or people are, who are being complicit, or governments that are being complicit about it. You know, if I just care for my economic gain, uh, and if I prioritize that over other people and over human rights, what I would do, if, if, if that was my goal, was to allow or even support dictatorships, and you know, you put one dictator there, you control that one dictator through that, through that person, you control uh, the entire population and all their resources. So I guess that's, in my opinion, that's where it's coming from. Um, a couple of days ago, the, the president um, tweeted and shared an, on Instagram about how silence about the Jewish Holocaust by Nazis uh, is complicity about the recent events that's going on in the US. Um, and, you know, then there's a question, you know, what is the reason that like these American celebrities and authorities are so complicit about the genocide and human rights violations that the IR regime is doing? Uh, they've occupied Iran basically I don't consider them the government of Iran they're occupiers of Iran and you know why why is the world being complicit about that and a couple of days ago I read an article in The Guardian and basically it, the, the title of that article is why are Americans ignoring the protests in Iran and um, they're basically claiming three things of you know why why this complicity where this complicity comes from. And the first one is the unwarranted fear of Islamophobia, and I explain why it's unwarranted. Uh, the second one is political games, like uh, making nuclear deals with a dictator, occupier, totalitarian, IR regime. And the third one that they explain is, you know, politicians' be- o- open beliefs that women's rights are negligible and a subset of um, other human rights.
2: I think that's part of uh, where the claims that this is part of our culture comes from. You know, like it, they don't see it as a totalitarian regime as just, oh, Middle Eastern countries, this is their culture, they just, you know, so we just, we should just let them be and don't get involved. Uh, right, which, like
1: over there, women like not having rights.
2: Yes, um, yeah, women don't want education, don't want any rights over their bodies, and um, this is just uh, exclusive to Western cultures. Um.
1: So, you've held numerous protests in Salt Lake since the global rally mm-hmm. do you what has protesting particularly here in Salt Lake been like for you do you guys feel like it's been impactful for the movement <sighs>
2: <laughs> um, I think it's been impactful even the fact that uh the university released a statement. I don't think by any means that's enough. Uh, but the fact that there are a lot of people on campus level and also um, across Utah, they don't they know that this movement is happening, um, and there has been some uh, coverage, albeit not the most accurate or most uh, comprehensive picture of what's going on. But even that is. I think impactful and I think honestly for the folks I I don't have any way of showing this but in my heart um, I believe that even people seeing us doing something even when it's small scale people who are in Iran it's motivating for them Um, just you know like I can imagine it's, it's exhausting showing up to the streets with all the danger that exists for them the fear of imprisonment and death Uh, to some extent and uh, all of that is terrifying but they're showing up every single day and I think the fact that they're seeing some of that movement being reflected and that we're trying to um, have a parallel movement alongside them I think uh, is encouraging so I think there there's some value to that and in addition um, there have been a lot of people that Either stop by when we have protests, or they join us. And the conversations that we've had with people, I think on on some scale, it's it's uh, been illuminating for some people. Um, in the context of Utah, it's difficult because th- there aren't that many Iranians here, um, and also it's Utah, um, and I feel like there's. Um, Um, you know we we live in a predominantly white state um, and there's not that much diversity and so naturally there isn't a a lot of awareness so I think when these conversations happen and we get some uh, positive responses it's it's very encouraging for us and um, also for the people who are fighting every single day in Iran and you know there are a lot of bigger movements happening as well like in Berlin, a couple of weeks ago, uh, eighty thousand people showed up in the streets. Um, in Toronto uh, about two months ago, there were 50,000 people and there have been movements in Los Angeles and um, all of California that's been happening that are a way bigger scale. But I wouldn't discount the smaller movements like the ones that uh, we're doing in Salt Lake City at all, because uh, even small impacts is an impact. Um, and I think we need everyone to join this movement. Uh, because as I said earlier, this isn't just For iranians it kind of joins the claims of everyone like women everywhere and also marginalized populations everywhere um and this is this is an example of a very progressive movement and we have the capacity to support this movement uh to whatever extent that we can so people know that it's happening because that's one of the main things that the islamic regime has done is that they have limited people's access to internet so they can't and also there's a fear of imprisonment as i said earlier too uh so there people are not sharing as much with the world um and what we know was happening and we have a responsibility to share that with the world so the rest of the world also knows that you know this is this is this has gone way too far and they're murdering people and they have been doing this. This is not something that's new. They have been doing this for decades. But now all of a sudden, be, thanks to social media, we have a platform to show the world what's happening and it's not just in isolation.
0: Um, you know, under the just uh, decades of su- uh, oppression and suppression that's going on in Iran, a lot of people in Iran during this movement are either... Um, Either out of fear or out of hopelessness, um, it's difficult for them to take actions. Um, And so just because of that sentiment, there is there is this there's a saying, I guess, in this movement that which is not uh, specific to this movement, but just every action is important. And this has become a big part of this movement that, you know, wherever you are, whatever platform you have, if you have 10 Twitter followers write a tweet about this every single action is important and and so you asked about like how these marches um and gatherings are effective um multiple march marches and gatherings with a lot of number of people showing up that's a lot of actions being taken and i think that's important but aside from that um it's also important i think in keeping uh the flair of you know this fight for freedom and human rights alive um keeping people involved um on a on a weekly a monthly basis I think is very important, and you know during these events we've also tried to like um, uh, follow our goal raise awareness we've tried to, we've handed out brochures we've um, just um, we've been intentional with what we were chanting we've uh, read statements short statements long statements and you know for people who are interested to um, kind of raise that awareness but I think what we what we need, um, what we like, what we need right now, and but also what the world needs in general, is, um, is for all activists, um, you know, it would be great if we could get, um, American human rights activists, women rights activists, LGBT rights, LGBTQ rights activists involved, and, you know, both behind this movement and also in the front lines, because what the people in Iran are fighting for is the rights of all these marginalized groups, um, LGBTQ population in Iran are in the front lines of this movement. Women are in the front lines of this movement. Human rights activists are in the front line of this movement. And so... Also
2: racial and ethnic minorities... Um, Are also in the front lines of this movement and all groups that have been...
0: Even religious minorities are in the front line of of this movement. Anybody who's suppressed and so I think that any, just because of that, anybody who wants to support the suppressed and oppressed around the world, this is is a big platform for them to you know, jump on and be active on and fight for these rights. Mm
1: -hmm. What kind of response have you gotten when you've Reached out to um, political leaders locally for support
0: I wonder how they, how, the, how they show support for other movements and if, if the support that they're showing for our um, values and our cause is equivalent to the support that they, they showed for like uh, for the Ukraine war or other um, human rights issues. I really wonder that because verbally they do uh, say that you know we're doing a good thing standing up for these uh kind of um virtues
2: the words are very encouraging you know um but it's just that <laughs> encouraging words uh we haven't seen a ton of action um which is disappointing because um, there, there is we have outlined specific things that they can do as well but I feel like whenever we've reached out, they kind of make us jump through all these hoops. And you know along the way, they um, also send us encouraging words and oh like we would love to support you in whatever shape uh, we can. But even even with the people that have a lot of power in the US, like the president himself and uh, everyone, like the representatives that have spoken of this matter is usually very brief. like we stand with the people of Iran. And you know that's that's kind of where it ends, like a very brief statement just to say we've we've done something, but not not a clear action for the people. Even on a university level, uh, we have been trying to waive the fees for students who are currently applying as international students from Iran. And I don't know why that has been so hard. I, I'm I'm not super involved with that process, but I know it hasn't. Happen yet, and there has been a lot of barriers um, on that front.
1: And that's in an effort to help people come here.
2: Yes, that's an effort for students who are already applying, but there are all these barriers right now because they can't. It's hard to pay for their, uh, for their application fees. Um, not just because it's very expensive because of exchange uh, rates right now, but also they have no means to pay because they don't have access to internet first first and foremost and also even when they do they don't have access to the same stuff that we do like the global banks that uh, people normally use to pay those fees so there are all these barriers for people that are trying to exit the country either for safety or education or whatever reason and it's a very small thing for the university to waive the fees because how many iranian students do they get every single year um not that many but it, even that and that, that's a very simple uh or small example of some some of the uh, movement that we've been trying to engage in on a campus level um that we haven't gotten the supportive response that we want and even for this current students who are here um, The international office sent out an email um, at the beginning of the movement, and and that that came from a push from the students too. It wasn't organic. Um, They demanded people demanded that, and they sent out um, an email, but they only sent it to 176 students who they claim that are the only um, Iranian students on campus. But there are 176 international Iranian students I wasn't included in that email and I'm a full-blown Iranian I I was born and raised there there are a lot of uh first and second generation students who are not international there they have their green card in citizenship uh and they're being heavily impacted by this movement and you know like the the university has kind of sent links to oh these are the counseling center resources that you can utilize and encourage which is great but also what additional support can you offer to the students because This is especially, especially for the international students, because most of them have families in Iran currently, they're heavily impacted by this movement. And even those of us that don't, it's our country, you know, we wake up with these horrible images on the news every single day, we go to bed with these horrible news, and we're constantly being exposed to very traumatic stuff. And... It's secondhand trauma and also uh, there is a little bit of survivor's guilt among a lot of us that are, you know, like we have the privilege of being safe here and many of our friends and families are suffering. The support, even for the current students, hasn't been great other than what they offer uh, word wise It's just a bunch of words.
1: So these calls to action to the university to say, do away with these fees for these students that want to come here from Iran. Is that the Persian Student Association asking the university for that?
0: Yeah, it's been an effort um, organized by the per, by the Persian Student Organization at the U, um, and they've made that request uh, with the uh, with the you know community support and you know the, the support of the people that they represent basically.
1: We reached out to the Persian Student Association and the university's international office for clarification and comment on the request to waive fees for future students trying to leave Iran. We did not hear back before the publishing of this episode, and we'll revisit this request and the university's response in the second episode.
2: Yeah, I, just just to say, some, some uh, faculty members on an individual level, have been waiving the fees um, and kind of advocating. But that that's not on a university. Um, right. It's, it's just been a uh, faculty that are, uh, Iranian faculty especially, but also other faculty that are mindful of what's going on in Iran. Uh, they've tried to uh, waive those fees uh, so students can ap- apply with some ease. But on the university level, there hasn't been any... Uh, support in terms of waiving those fees and making it a little bit more accessible, given given the circumstances that uh, Iranian community is going through in Iran.
0: Um, yeah, when so when you asked about like what the motivation is behind this request for like fee waivers and things like that. Um, I kind of want to refer to the Maslow uh, Pyramid where, you know, there are people that are, this, this is the same people that are fighting for freedom and they're also fighting for education and they're also like applying for universities and they're also, they're doing all the same things at the same, all, the, all, the, all those things at the same time. And uh, the motivation behind this kind of request is, you know, if you can help those people out in some way, it's going to help them out in the other fronts that they are, um, you know, fighting for human rights, and right, you know, like you have
1: to be safe before you can focus on your studies. Exactly,
0: exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, as Alva mentioned, uh, there have been uh, there have been people that are taking academic people that are taking personal actions, like the uh, professors that are waiving the uh, the stu- the application fees for the students that apply to their group. Um, my supervisor at the University of Colorado, um, he's intentionally. Um, looking for Persian students, students that are applying for Iran to, you know, join his group to support them. And there is all these, there there are a lot of these personal um, support that's going on, but, you know, that's great, but we need institutional support as well. Um, And that's why like reaching out to the U um, to um, show institutional support other than just, you know, relying on people to be conscientious and show personal support out of their own pockets, out of their own, like, um,
1: Or risking their jobs. Risking their
0: jobs, yeah. yeah, risking their jobs, even risking their projects maybe, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's important.
1: Okay, before we move on, um, you know, we just clarified actionable steps that are being asked for the university to take. Mm-hmm. Do you have any examples of actionable steps that government officials should
2: take? Um, I think one of the main things uh, is uh, preventing, continuing per- the prevention of any sort of appeasements or deals with Iran and publicly denouncing this murderous regime and not recognizing them as the Iranian government, but a government that has taken over the country and its people. Uh, This is a country that's been kept hostage by uh, totalitarian leaders. um, And I think that's important on the part of global leaders to acknowledge. And also, you know, amidst all of this, um, some of the uh, government officials from the Islamic regime have been going to conferences and to the United Nations and um, I think that's very problematic because these are people that are ordering people to get murdered, to get tortured, to get, to get put in jail um, for just just for the freedom of sp- expression, just for protesting um, or holding opposite values or different values from the government. And, it, you know, the, the global leaders are not holding these people... Um, Accountable, which has serious implications, uh, serious global implications, because they just keep going about, you know, whatever they're doing as if business as usual, and uh, while people are dying, you know, these people are ordering people to die, and they they can go, they can hold the same power, and you know, sit with the global leaders and make deals, and. that's that's an important thing to acknowledge that th- this this government does not represent the people of Iran.
1: Yeah. So it seems like the ask would be, don't deal with the Islamic regime as if they're a legitimate government.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. And just just to be clear, too, um, when people in Iran are asking for support from uh, global leaders, they're not necessarily asking them to get involved militarily um, it's more so to just uh, give some visibility to this movement that's happening and don't go along with uh, the government officials from Iran or from the Islamic regime uh, that you know are going about their business as usual deals Um, I think that's that's an important thing to know as well when we ask for support it's, it's just support for visibility and also not going along with the regime, not getting involved militarily. I don't think that would help anyone.
1: After this interview, on December 14th, the UN removed Iran from the Commission on the Status of Women. U.S. Representative to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, gave the following statement. Why would they want to be on a commission that protects women? The United States has long stood for gender equality and basic human rights. We had to act. Iranian women have clearly called for us here at the United Nations to remove Iran from the Commission on the Status of Women. It was a sensible request. Iran's membership directly undermines the Commission's work. Its membership was a stain on our credibility. Today we
0: remove that stain. Um, So there are some actions that are being, that are like started globally. For example, I think in Canada, I think there's a task force or some group in the government that's working on investigating um, people that are linked to the Islamic regime. There are people um, in the U.S., in Canada, in, in Europe that are linked to the Islamic regime. They're running businesses. They're making money here and they're supporting the Islamic regime. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if 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 the U.S. or other countries If they want to make an action, take an action against the terrorist activities of the Islamic regime, it's not by uh, checking students' suitcases suitcases in the airport when they want to come here to go to grad school. It's by making the, uh, doing these investigations into people that are actually linked with the Islamic regime. They're doing biz, they're running businesses here, and they're linked with the Islamic regime financially, ideologically, and in every sense. Um, and there it's was not just
2: Just to clarify, they're not just linked to the Islamic regime. They're people who are heavily involved in, you know, like all the crimes against humanity that they've been doing. And they can just bring pretty much steal people's money from Iran and bring it to uh, these foreign nations so they can, they can be free but people in Iran don't get to be free, um, which is so hypocritical too because this is their government, but then they send all their kids and their family members here so they can benefit from the freedom of expression that exists in, uh, in these countries and you know the, the rest of the people get to suffer in Iran.
0: Yeah, there was a business for example, in Germany there was a, a company an official company with a name and, and a location and everything, that was involved in, in the Internet shutdowns that, that, that the Islamic regime is doing. And people pressured the government. Um, some people figured out what's going on, and I think they've taken down that company.
1: Multiple media outlets and a German research center announced the German company SoftCloud GmbH is a branch of the Iranian company Arvincloud which is accused of helping to disconnect the internet in Iran. According to the research, SoftCloud GmbH is one of four digital connection gates that connect Iran to the global internet. German Foreign Minister Lina Baerbock said there could be punitive consequences if the allegations are true. Arvind Cloud has denied the allegations.
0: In Canada, they're um, investigating into these people that are either linked to the Islamic regime, or even, or even agents of the Islamic regime. They're investigating them, and they are, um, they are sanctioning them personally instead of sanctioning the whole population. They're sanctioning those people, and and that that kind of um, those kind of actions they need to accelerate. Around the world by the governments, and it's very effective because, because if you start if, if one country and then ten countries and then all these uh, countries that have freedom and and those countries are actually the, the places that the um, officials of the Islamic regime are sending their kids to live, and you know if you if you take that away from them, then that's that's a that's a strong action. Um, taken against them to reduce their power and reduce their freedom to suppress the Iranian population. That's a very important action to take, and I think it needs to be accelerated around the world.
1: On December 2nd, Canadian Foreign Minister Melanie Jolie announced sanctions on four individuals and five entities that Ottawa had said were tied to Tehran's systematic human rights violations.
0: Back in 2011, this person named, um, named Uh he was an official in, um, in one of Iran's national banks, and he embezzled the equivalent of $2.6 billion, and he took it to Canada and he bought mansions there. And he did that freely because he was bringing a lot of money into Canada. That needs to stop to happen um, because, because the same people that bring that money there, they also run businesses in those countries and, and support the Iran uh, it's the, the IR regime with those businesses and with their like um, whatever that they can, you know, um, initiate in the Western countries and that needs to stop. This, uh, the action of investigating these people, these companies, these businesses that are supporting the Islamic regime um, needs to accelerate around the world by all the governments. Uh, there needs to be a task force for this everywhere
2: and also sorry just to add to that um, also highlighting uh, the IR regime's involvement with uh, the war that Russia is waging on Ukraine as well as the uh, um, the war that's happening in Syria uh, both of those are being supplied by the Islamic regime, um, and, you know, everyone is concerned about the Ukraine war that's happening, which is great. They deserve the visibility. And at the same time, there's not a whole lot of conversation going on about who is really supplying... Russia with all these, you know, weaponry and all these resources to continue this war on the people of Ukraine for so long. And one of the major contributors uh, to this war is Iran or the the government of Iran. Um, And I I don't think that gets much visibility, um, not not in the media for sure, but even the uh, global leaders are not talking about that.
1: On December 9th, The U.S. Department of State released a press statement announcing new sanctions on three Russian entities connected to the military relationship between Moscow and Tehran, a relationship that includes the transfer of unmanned aerial vehicles from Iran being used by the Kremlin against Ukraine.
0: I I think an important takeaway of all the things that we're talking about here right now is that this movement in Iran is not isolated at all. It involves women's rights. It involves LGBTQ rights. It involves human rights. It involves religious freedom. It involves freedom of speech. It involves a secular democracy. It involves not supporting Russia in the war against Ukraine. You know, all these things that that the Western world has been claiming to stand for, for decades and centuries, it involves all of that.
1: And just to clarify, as opposed to broad sanctions on the country of Iran, we need task forces in these free countries to target and investigate people tied to the Islamic regime and sanction them.
0: Yeah, there's like, uh, so right now with the crackdowns on the, on the people with all the, um, all the suppression, <clears throat> the tear gases that they're using are, I think, from company in Italy.
1: Journalists at the outlet France 24 Observers have reviewed over 100 photos and videos sent by Iranians of recovered ammunition from protests. 13 shells from eight cities in Iran bore the logos of the French Italian manufacturer Cheddite.
2: Yeah, historically, uh, the sanctions have heavily impacted the people, like normal people. Um, but not as much the government. Um, This is not to say they should remove all sanctions immediately. I don't think that's what people in Iran are wanting right now anyway, but uh, yeah, just uh, focusing the sanctions on the people who are responsible for uh, these crimes against humanity that are happening uh, on a nationwide level and also globally too, Uh, I I think that needs to be uh, really emphasized.
0: Yeah, there's been um, there's been all these um, broad sanctions against Iran over the years, which have really crippled the people. Mm -hmm. And as Alva mentioned, at this point, because the people are fighting the regime, they're not saying, like, take uh, away all these sanctions. But but these targeted sanctions that we're talking about, um, they're important. There's been all these broad sanctions over many years, yet a lot of these government officials, their kids are living in the U.S., in Canada, in the U.K., in France in right. Germany they they're embezzling money and they're taking it there um, e, there's been all these broad sanctions yet the Islamic government uh, has their hands on on guns and tear gases and uh, um, r- anti-riot vehicles that are made in all these countries that are supposedly sanctioning Iran you know it needs to be more targeted
1: as of this morning the New York Times reported that iran is shutting down the morality police after months of protest and reviewing its hijab law this is a seemingly huge concession from the regime and a tremendous victory for protesters how consequential is this development
0: um i think it is a uh, it is a big achievement but also personally i'm thinking you know let's not forget that the islamic regime is right now is very short on on supporters so they they take these i guess relatively small group of supporters relative to the whole population and they use those people to suppress people in the streets with batons and with um with guns they take the same people to um to do like Interviews and they interview with them as people on the street that support the government in plain clothes, and then they take the same people to the World Cup um, in Qatar to um, show that Iranians are very happy about the about the current government, and and so I I don't know if if shutting down the morality police is um, is is a step that the government the Iran IR regime is taking back. Or if it's something that's inevitable, they don't even have enough forces to enforce that right now. So, you know, why not just say that and, and, and you know, kind of ease, um, kind of try to take the heat uh, a notch down so that, you know, people go back home. Um, also... People have been um, there's been there's been calls for like these like three days of um, let's go on the streets three days of marches and of gatherings on the streets against the government. There's there's there have been those calls, and usually when one of those happens, the government puts out a bunch of news or creates events to distract the global society and the people in Iran from that. So and 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 these three days right now this like. Um, um, so like the the night of the December fourth, which will be the morning of December fourth in Iran, is the start of one of those three days. You know, two days, three days before that, this news comes out in the global community. Oh, that Iran the Iranian IR regime is you know taking a step back. Um, I am very pessimistic about anything that is sh- that is shared from the news outlets of the IR regime because. Because there is no reason that they would share any... The the media is absolutely controlled by the government. And there's absolutely no reason for the media inside Iran to share a news that is not beneficial to the government. Mm -hmm. So whatever is shared, I am pessimistic. But at the same time, I also agree that it's a big achievement for the protesters and for the revolution. Because um, what this means is that that the IR regime is pushed into a corner to, to have to release this news to distract people
2: yeah I also share a similar um, I wouldn't even call it pessimistic but maybe more realistic and my worry is that this uh, again I, I feel like um, the Iranians in Iran and also the Iranian diaspora has fought really hard to communicate that this is a revolutionary m- movement that people are done asking for reforms they just want this regime gone you know 10 years ago in uh, the green movement in 2008 and even like a couple years ago all the movements that ha- had been happening I think people still had some hope that a reform would be helpful but at this point people are done and nothing this regime does they're never going to go back to uh, asking for reform or uh, adjustments or whatever and we have such little trust in the government because not because we're pessimistic people by default but because of our personal and uh, collective experience with this regime is that they might release something but i don't trust that they're not gonna bring back the morality police after the movement dies down so this might be a way for them to communicate with Global community. Oh look, the regime is making some adjustments and progressing, or whatever. But in reality, they're just using it as a tactic to distract uh, from the th- what people are actually wanting, and also to calm down the movement that's been that's happening um, in in the country right now.
0: So I just wanted to add to that that exactly what was said. Even even if this is uh, first of all, I said pessimistic, but I, what I what I meant was skeptical. So even even if we assume that you know this is a, a an actual act of stepping down by the IR regime, I am all in on the biggest bet in the world that if anything dies down and if the IR regime stays in power in Iran they're going to immediately double down with the morality police on, on people and, and impose even more and even hor- more horrible brutality mm-hmm. to, um, to enforce all these marginalizing and, mm-hmm. and oppressive um, beliefs.
2: We've been down this path so many times. Like the previous uh, president before the current one, he promised so many progressive things. He was like, I'm going to end the morality police. And a lot of millennials and Gen Zers uh, voted for him because he seemed more progressive and he made all these promises. He did not do any of those things. As soon as he was in power, he kind of perpetuated the same problematic rules and uh, the forceful uh uh, rulings that w- were existent before him, so I, I feel like all in, we have no faith, um, and I think that I I can only speak of our own experience and our own values. But from what I've heard from our community as well, this no one is taking this as a win. Um, honestly, no no one is like yay they finally are reflecting what our collective values are. But it's more so I think uh, a tactic to just. Um, yeah, pretend that they're progressing and moving towards a democratic society. When in reality, it's just to, it, yeah, it's a propag- propaganda to communicate one thing. But in reality, we know that they're not gonna back down.
0: And and Iranians know that, and and they they kind of uh, they call they call all these tactics these the, the people that are like supposedly like leftists that are like all part of the same. IR uh, regime and like all this news, they call them the release valves of the regime. And, and that's, 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 the only, um, that's the only reason that those supposedly leftists uh, are, are like these news, um, they come out to be a release valve um, for the more important and fundamental things that are going on.
1: After our interview... Mehdi contacted me to inform me that he did some more digging following the New York Times article. His conclusion, fake news. Other US media outlets continued in the Times' footsteps.
0: In international news, after months of protests over its strict hijab laws, Iran is reportedly considering abolishing its infamous morality police.
1: I want to start with some breaking news overnight out of Iran. They have abolished the morality police. This is after months of protests following the
2: death of Masa Amini.
1: Middle East Matters, a youth organization, made a statement on the same day that Iran has not abolished the morality police. Part of their statement read, Iran's attorney general was quoted at an event Saying that the morality police has no connection with the judiciary and was shut down by the same place that it had been launched from in the past. I promise the public that we will not hesitate to deal with the main causes of the recent riots. The statement went on to warn that these headlines about the morality police came on the eve of a three day nationwide strike. Iranians have been chanting for months that their target is the absolute downfall of the regime, and failure to report accurately on the Iranian revolution risks silencing the people and endangering their lives. Within a day, news outlets in the U.S. began covering the regime's announcement with more skepticism.
2: To be clear, this is only coming from one official in Iran, and it's being treated with a lot of skepticism. Also, what the protesters are demanding is bigger than this one
1: issue. Look, I've I've been receiving messages from people, Iranian friends online, who say, look, not so quickly.
0: This was announced on Saturday by a single official, the Attorney General, Mohammed Javad, uh, and... um, it has not permeated to the other branches of government or even to uh, state media. So um, it's entirely valid uh, to question this. It does not really, while it may get at the root uh, or at the trigger of the protest, it doesn't really get to the broader political, social, and economic demands that the protesters and activists have. And it may also be seen by them as too little, too late, as they've been protesting now for three months. And as we have
1: Five days later, on December 8th, the regime carried out their first formally announced execution over the protests, hanging Mohsen Shikari. On December 12th, they executed Majid Raza Ranavad, publicly hanging him from a construction crane. In our next episode, I continue my conversation with Mehdi and Ava as they contextualize how hostile Iran has become for the people that live there. I'm your host, Crystal Fratan.